0: This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon. This has become... When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns it! Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 50. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 show, presented by
1: Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome back to the QB11 show, presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott here as always, and I'm joined today by. Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. Justin,
2: welcome back in. It's great to have you back on the show. I'm back from my, uh, I don't know how long it's it been, two or three week hiatus, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, we got you in, I think, after the first two or three games, and that was great, and, and now we got you back again. And uh, we'll obviously have QB on later in the episode to break down Washington and get into the thoughts on the game and, and pick his games for the week. But I wanted to touch base with you today in this first segment on recruiting let's get some recruiting updates and then we'll obviously get your thoughts on the Oregon Washington showdown this weekend up in Seattle and then we'll uh we'll get your picks for the week. Normally I uh, read your picks to our listeners and this time you got to read your own picks and give your thoughts okay. if you want on those games. So we'll end with that. But let's go let's start with recruiting. Obviously there's been a couple of Huge predictions that you've made over on Scoop Deck to, for Oregon to land a couple of big time recruits in this uh, 2024 class, and, and there's a few other guys on deck as well that you might want to talk about. So why don't you just kind of lead us lead us on into the latest in recruiting?
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, you know what you alluded to. Probably the biggest two things, I guess I'll start there. It's just uh, you know, first things first. Over the weekend to end the weekend, or was it Sunday or Monday? Anyway, anyways, uh, Elijah rushing decommitted de- from his longstanding uh, commitment to Arizona. I guess it wasn't that long. It was about three months. But either way, uh, he's back on the open market. And just ahead of him doing that, you know, Oregon had sent Tosh Lupoy. I think there might have been a, a couple other coaches that visited him last week in the bye week. Oregon did do some recruiting on the road, if you will. Um, it was kind of like uh, – it was kind of an opportunity. Normally in a bye week, I think they would be a little more aggressive recruiting and getting out there for, for the whole week or sending out more coaches. But they were pretty methodical getting guys on the road for a couple of days. Um, but obviously having eyes on this game this weekend with Washington, which is the biggest game so far for the Ducks and for the Huskies. So anyways, Elijah rushing back on the market. Um, I don't really see myself as somebody that um, often says, hey, when a guy commits to another school, you know, keep tabs. Oregon will flip him down the line. I know there's people that do do that and say that. I typically don't, but this was one of the very few cases where, you know, even when Elijah Rushing picked Arizona, you know, I did say, hey, just it's July, give this thing some time. I know the Ducks aren't going away. And, um, you know, it, it fortunately came true, but it, I just one of those things that I had a strong feeling about. I think the Ducks are in the driver's seat there. I, I did put in a prediction for Oregon to land him. I don't think it's an immediate. A uh, com- uh, commitment on his part. I don't think he's ready to jump right back into a commitment. Um, you know, kind of making it a flip, if you will. I think he might take a couple trips, make sure of his decision this time. I can see Tennessee, Notre Dame, uh, maybe if USC's lucky, they can wiggle back in the game a little bit and try to get in there. Um, you know, but those are some of the early schools I could see making a play for for Rushy. That said, I think Oregon is in the driver's seat from this point moving forward. So somebody's going to have to overtake them. Second prediction that I made, uh, equally as important. Hold on, hold on,
1: hold on, real quick. On hold on, real quick. On this, Justin, why on earth would any defensive recruit want
2: to go to USC right now? Uh, Well, I guess if I'm giving you the honest answer, the honest answer is nil. But yeah, otherwise there's (laughs) there's not a lot there. I mean, you know, if there's a if there's a defensive recruit that goes to USC, my my gut is one of two things. They either. you know, found themselves a lucrative NIL package, or uh, you know, they grew up um, a fan of USC, dad grew up a fan of USC. I know that still happens, but yes, if we're looking at it on paper, there's absolutely no reason right now wh- why you would go to USC to follow away and that pitiful defense. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it, like, sorry, I'm going to tangent this a little bit, <laughs> but uh, it's not like the problem with the USC defense isn't a lack of talent i mean they've recruited a ton of great talent especially in like the defensive backfield but even on the lines so it's clearly a development problem it's a coaching problem it's a scheme problem all of the above it's i'm blown away by like if you're a guy who has like five-star talent i mean it just feels like it's a place you go to like
2: wallow away and not get developed like i don't know Sorry. Yeah, hey, let's even, get back just, to recruiting. No, or even four-star talent. Like you said, you're not going there to get developed and turn into a first-round guy. You're just not, at least on defense. If you're a quarterback, hell yeah, that's a great place for you to go. I don't fault you for that one bit. But, um, you know, I think even you could argue offensively who else gets developed outside of the quarterback you know, at USC under Lincoln Riley. It's not like they're turning in, you know, Jordan Addison had a career year at Pitt, transfers to USC and has a a fraction, literally 50% of his production uh, with a Heisman quarterback at at USC. Uh, Obviously, he's flourishing now in the NFL because he's a really talented player. But yeah, what are they developing? I mean, what positions? So anyways, yeah, we'll get back on track. Elijah rushing. I predicted him to Oregon. I feel like they're the school to beat right now. Again, I'm sure other schools would get involved. Uh, moving forward there, and maybe even also to your point, five-star defensive lineman Aiden Breland, who's been a top priority for Oregon for for several months now, all the way into early spring. Felt like the Ducks had been the leader. Georgia had, you know, really clawed back in the picture semi-late, late late summer. Uh, You know, he had that big visit to them a few weeks ago, and Georgia really closed the gap and made things interesting. But I think with his decision coming this Saturday, just a few days out, uh, an hour before kickoff of Oregon and Seattle, I put in a prediction for Oregon. I think the Ducks are the team to beat. I think distance and relationships are two huge things for the Ducks. And also to your point, which you were making a few minutes ago, you can, you know, is a great school, and they will definitely develop you on defense and on offense for that matter, but they will definitely develop you. But you can also stay, you know, 2,500 miles closer to home and get really good development at Oregon if you're a defensive lineman, too. So I think those are you know, some of the reasons that the Ducks uh, could possibly earn his commitment on Saturday. Again, that one's between Oregon and Georgia, but I put it in a prediction for Oregon. I think the Ducks get him, and that's, that's just a massive, massive win for, for Dan Lanning and his guys on Saturday. Oh, what and else then, you
1: got? Uh, oh, you got some other other updates on there on the site, right? Those are obviously the big two, and that's those are huge. I mean, to be able to get flip rushing essentially uh, from Arizona, and you know, someone that, like you said, I mean, there's some other programs in the Northwest that their moderators on their message boards like talk about you know flips being like commonplace, and there's going to be five of them every fall and they never happen, but you're you're not someone who's done that in the past. So I did kind of take notice when you said a while back to keep it on rushing and I thought, okay, this is not just a, you know, a homer going like, hey, we're going to flip this guy later because we're the greatest and blah, blah, blah. It's, it would actually had meaning to me to hear you say that. And, and obviously Oregon hasn't landed him yet, but certainly, like you said, it looks still looks to be good based on what you're hearing. And then Breland, you know, that would be a huge win. I mean, this is one that I think Oregon has kind of been in the pole position on most of the cycle, but it certainly seems like Georgia made a heck of a push um, of late and kind of thought, I kind of had personally thought he was probably slipping away over the last month or so. So now to hear you say uh, Oregon's is sitting good for his commitment, which is coming up Saturday, an hour before kickoff of the Washington Oregon game. So that would be, that'd be, both of those would be enormous
2: gets for Oregon as they try to close out this class. Yeah, and uh, you know your your last sentence there is exactly right. I don't have a ton of games to watch or a ton of predictions in on 2024 guys uh, that are uncommitted, simply because there's not that many spots left to fill. I think that you know I've I put out an article you know earlier today, basically recapping uh, the the uncommitted 2024 recruits that I have a prediction to Oregon for. Uh, Elijah Rushing and Aiden Breedlin are two. So if you add those, all of a sudden you're at 25. Uh, running back Jason Brown out of Seattle, which will also he will be at the Husky-Oregon game this weekend up in Seattle. I've got him predicted to Oregon. There's 26. Another defensive lineman, top 150, top 100 player. You know Jericho Johnson out of California. Uh, I've got him currently predicted to Oregon. So if all four of those guys... You know, we're to commit to Oregon, we're talking about 27, and, you know, we're still, Oregon is still actively recruiting, you know, tight end Roger Salia you know, they had Jeremiah McClellan, wide receiver, committed to Ohio State on campus a couple weeks ago. Obviously, they're continuing to have talks there, so... There's just not that many names for me to talk about in the list because you know Dan Lanning and Marshall Malco are already sitting there going, okay, if we do sign all these guys, how do we, you know, how do we process some other guys? Which is you know the the nature of the beast, but that's kind of where it's at. You don't want to sit there and have to process 25 guys uh, from your current team because that kind of sets a bad precedent. So, in in, in yeah. any regards, yeah. that's why there's especially not too many when you. Names.
1: Yeah, sorry, especially when you, like, there was so much of that was cleaned up last year, last off cycle, right? Um, And so there isn't as nearly as much uh, fat to trim, if you will, on the current roster. I'm not saying there's none. There's definitely anyone can go through the roster and pick out a few scholarship players. But, you know, if you're talking, I mean, there's only 14 seniors on the roster. Yeah, there's going to be some, um, you know, some early entry Juniors that leave as well, but you know maybe that gets you to twenty guys who are leaving you know normally well, if you're bringing in a class of twenty six twenty seven and you're probably going to bring in a handful of transfers now you're into the thirties you got to find ten to twelve more guys to to leave from the roster and you start cutting into that ten or twelve and you're cutting into guys you either don't know. I mean, we don't know as fans whether where they sit because they're true freshmen this year, or you're cutting into guys you know are good players. So it'll be interesting to watch that that chess match play out. I' not something I'm worried about uh, because I do know that Marshall and Dan they their roster management is really smart. So it's a really complex problem to have. Like you know, like do we take this? Do we take another guy who's a great talent, knowing that that means we got to figure out a way to push someone else out later, and they'll figure that out. yeah, we'll watch him and see
2: how it unfolds. And, it, and it's great. It's a great problem to have. But yeah, like you said, there, there's some guys that, you know, if you get too far into the thinning process, there might be some guys where, you know, you're sitting here going, well, this was a developmental guy. I don't really, you know, I, I don't really want cut, to cut him loose just yet. We don't know what we have here. And and that's something, you know, again, in, in every recruiting cycle, you're taking guys that help you, at least at the prep level, you're taking guys that help you today and you're taking some developmental guys like, hey, this isn't a day one starter for us, but you know, look at his projectables. he's raw, two, three years, and this might be a dude for us. So um, in any event, yeah, the, there's not a lot left, not a lot of meat left on the bone, if you will, for Dan Lanning. Uh, the other big recruiting news, which I'm happy to go over, you know, the Ducks did lay in a commitment uh, Sunday from junior college cornerback, Sion Nalia, great looking player. You know, USC, Miami, Penn State, those were the schools that Oregon was able to beat out. And I love that it gives Oregon another lengthy cornerback. It seems to be, you know, something that they've done under Dan Lanning with Demetrius Martin. You know, Christian Gonz- Gonzalez was a a full six-foot-two guy last year. Kyrie Jackson, you know, is another six-foot-two, six-foot-three guy this year. And Sion is another guy that, that really, you know, finds himself right around that six-foot-three mark. So... Um, You know, clearly that's that length, that skill set is something that they like in the defense. Um, And of course, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that brings Oregon up to 23 commits on the 2024 class, uh, making these uh, these final spots very, very picky and very choosy, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Anything more on recruiting
1: or you want to shift over and talk a little bit about the big game?
2: (laughs) Uh yeah no I I don't know that there's a ton more in recruiting the only last thing I think I will I will uh you know mention is the fact that uh, obviously the ducks are away this year or excuse me this weekend um you know the next home game. Uh, that I'm kind of circling for the Ducks is the Washington State game, which seems to have some early traction for being a fairly big visitor weekend. I don't think it's going to be uh, quite like that Colorado weekend, but, you know, Solomon Williams is is talking about taking his official visit. Uh, we've had some, you know, upper end 2025s talk about uh, taking a visit to Oregon that weekend. So uh, we should have some news leading into that weekend and coming out of that weekend from visitors on campus. All right, so fans,
1: take a you know keep an eye on that weekend. Follow Scoop Duck for visit updates as that game gets a little bit closer. But uh, before that, Oregon travels up to Seattle to take on the Huskies. Obviously, number seven versus number eight in the AP poll. The winner of this game has. A, a huge leg up in, in making it to Vegas for the Pac-12 title game uh, the loser's not out by any means I, um, they still control their own destiny but the path is a little uh, a little narrower so it, it's obviously a game of, of big ramifications up there um, I'm going to talk about this obviously with QB as we get on later but I'd love to hear your thoughts you know on how you see this game playing out what do you see as kind of the um, the keys to the game for for Oregon if you will and, and yeah what do you think who's going to win
2: yeah, uh, you know, uh, great questions and a fun game. And this is what uh, this is kind of what we live for, right? This is what makes college football special. You know, as we're recording this moments ago, I posted the uh, the scooped roundtable, which has your score prediction on it. Mine or Patty, uh, Jared and Joel's uh, mine. I listed Oregon 51, Washington 34. That was my score prediction, which is a, a very solid, strong uh, win for the Ducks. I know that. Uh, now, what leads me to that? Right. What leads me to fifty-one thirty-four? For starters, I think Oregon can score the football almost at will. Okay, they're they're uh, or the Ducks are very good at running the ball, and the ver- Ducks are very effective at throwing the ball. So it's kind of a pick your poison if you're Washington, and Washington's not especially strong at doing one or the other. So you know. I think if you're if you're Bo Nix, you're going to be out there and it is going to be a hostile crowd. But as long as you kind of stick to the game plan, um, you know, he's like having a coach on the field. I think he's going to be able to count the numbers in the box and and find out where the mismatch is and, and just kind of keep the chains moving for Oregon. I don't know if Oregon will have a ton of explosive big plays, uh, but again, I, I do feel confident that they'll be able to move the ball consistently. Uh, special teams, which we I'll talk about it now because I'll forget if I don't. I, I don't know that Oregon necessarily has the edge there, but it's not a, a glaring weakness for oregon which it has been at certain times in the past so you know feel pretty good about camden lewis the punt game has been especially strong you know the ducks aren't really giving up a lot of yards in the kick return and punt return game um you know i don't know that they have a ton of kickoff yards or uh, return yards or punt return yards but um as long as they're catching the ball i feel pretty good about that so um defensively this is where the game is a mismatch, Oregon has a much better defense than Washington at all three levels. Um, I know uh, Washington has some skilled players on their defense. Braylon tries, you know, just to name one. They have some skill on their defense, but I think if you go one through 11, and, and if you want to take it a step further, if you go one through 22... Oregon it has a huge advantage there. Will they be able to take advantage of it? Will they be able to capitalize on it? That's the key to the game, of course. You're on the road. It could be loud. It could be hard to settle in. That Washington offense uh through the air is absolutely terrific, but the one thing Washington lacks in my opinion on offense is balance. You know, they don't have the balance that Oregon does. You know, so I think if you're if you're Oregon, you do your absolute best to stop Heinkel Penix and and Rome and and uh, McMillan and those guys because they're really good. But at least you kind of know where their strength lies. Strength lies in in how to dial up that defense. So that's how I came to my score. I think Oregon wins. I actually feel relatively confident about this game because of that. Um, but of course, like the rest of you, I'll be tuning in and and cheering or screaming at the TV or whatever the case might be <laughs> on Saturday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm kind of with you. I, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. I, I think Oregon, it's your chair is very squeaky. Hop it, it is. Yep, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really loud. Uh, Oregon has, I Oregon. I don't think Washington can really do anything to to stop Oregon's offense at. at Really, any level? Like, I, I don't think they're going to be able to stop the running game. I don't think they can really stop the passing game. I think Muhammad is good on his side of the ball on whoever he's guarding. There are other there are other primary on ball pass defenders, uh, whether that be uh, Mish Powell or Dom Hampton in the slot, or whether it be Jackson or uh, the the name of their other Dixon, Thaddeus Dixon on on the corner. Like, they are they have not been. Uh, they have not been great on ball pass defenders. Uh, in, in any of those four guys, and, and honestly, they've been playing against bad quarterbacks and average or worse receivers. For well, outside of Arizona, obviously, Arizona has some good receivers, but um, outside of that game, you know, really nothing to speak of. And they have not performed well against that competition. And obviously, Oregon this year doesn't just have Troy Franklin. I mean, the the two, three, and four wide receivers for Oregon are con- to me like. One of the biggest upgrades on this roster from last year, right, uh, with with um, with Treshaun Holden and and Gary Bryant Jr. and and obviously Tez Johnson as well. So I think those matchups are are really intriguing for Oregon. I think they can't. So I don't, I don't think those guys can can stop our our other receivers, and I don't think they can stop our running game. I think Oregon is going to be able to move the ball pretty effectively because they mix pass and run, they mix in RPOs, they mix in XPOs, they, you know, play action. Like, they're just so, Oregon is just so varied on offense and I don't think Washington's going to be able to stop that. I think, obviously, on that side of the ball, the key is going to be can you finish? Can you finish drives in the red zone, right? Can you turn drives into into touchdowns and, st- and not field goals, or or you know four and outs kind of thing? Um, and then on the other side of the ball, it just comes down to well, I mean, you, you kind of saw what Arizona was able to do, and and obviously I don't think Oregon is going to play seven DBs. Uh, it's not you know, but I don't think Oregon has to either. Uh, but I think if they if they can have the same kind of effectiveness in limiting explosion explosion plays, keeping the ball in front of them you know, slow for slowing the game down, forcing Washington into the red zone. And then, you know, getting some stops there. I think that I think Oregon could do more defensively to slow down Washington than vice versa, I guess is the way I would say it. So I'm with you. I, I, my, my prediction was 44, 34. I, you know, maybe, I don't know if I'm so confident about the score, but I'm confident about the margin. I think Oregon wins this game by more than a touchdown. I yeah, don't think it's a yeah. one possession game.
2: I think it's a two possession game in the end. Yeah, I I agree. I actually I feel like Oregon will kind of have the game in hand maybe to finish out the third quarter to start the fourth quarter. Um and it wouldn't surprise me if you'd maybe got some points back at the end, but otherwise the game, you know, could be in hand for Oregon, you know, somewhere in that in that third quarter range. Wow. and again i
1: love that i'm not quite as uh i'm not quite as bullish as you are there I, I think it's more of like in in hand by the early to maybe mid fourth kind of thing but
2: i hear you yeah no i just like you you know like we're both agreeing i i think that um you know i just think that oregon's got better balance and when you get down into the red zone having that established run game Uh, brings a lot of value, like you said, being able to finish drives, and and I think if you're Washington, you're going to have to rely on the pass game at times to get in the end zone, whereas Oregon you know, will be able to beat you with a tight end or be able to beat you with Bucky Irving or or Jordan James or any of the guys that I can list, so hopefully that's the case, Uh, but nonetheless, whether we're being homers or not, this should be just one hell of a game. I I can't I like I I can't put into words how exciting this game is and I know that we're picking Oregon to win, but it's a really good Washington football team, this is going to be a statement win, a quality win, you know, for Dan Lanning for the Oregon Ducks this season and it's just it is what it is what makes college football special is having these kind of games out there. I'm just man, I'm 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 so excited. Yeah,
1: totally agree. Let's move over. You know, you don't ever normally you don't ever get to talk about your picks on the show because you're not able to record with us. Um, but now we've got you on here today so I can walk through our 11 games for week seven of the college football season. And you are winning this thing, Hop. You are winning this thing actually pretty dominantly. You're up uh, You're at 56% on the year qb is at 45 and i are both at 45.8 percent. so you're you're up on us by like five or six games right now it's it's pretty dominating fashion by you so you can brag a little bit as we go through this but the first game obviously was oregon uh, a three-point underdog we're all taking oregon and the points there next one arizona goes on the road to the palouse to take on the cougars at washington state who are an eight-point home favorite in this one what
2: do you like I picked Washington State there because uh, they're at home, and that's a tough place to play, which we know. And I also think it would appear Arizona is making a mistake in switching back to Jaden Delora. Fafita's been freaking lights out for the Wildcats, but uh, Delora's back to being healthy, and I think they're going to make the switch back. And I, I do think that's a mistake, so I've got Wazoo.
1: Gotcha. I would agree that that is a mistake. Okay, I'll uh, I'll announce my picks later with QB, but so we'll go to the next one. Uh, Bruins uh, on the road after their home takedown of Washington State, and UCLA has a very impressive defense this year. They're on the road at Corvallis. This is going to be a a real uh, important game for both of these schools. The loser of this game is basically eliminated for the Pac-12 title race. The winner, given that they both avoid some of the tougher teams in the conference this year, the winner of this has a real outside shot a kind of snar- uh, sniping a second spot in that title game if you will as the, the teams I think are better than them all have to play each other so Oregon State is a three and a half point home
2: favorite against the Bruins I did go with UCLA um, I'm not super confident in this one you know we both know Corvallis could be a tough place to play and you're bringing up a freshman quarterback um, with little road experience into Corvallis which could make it tough but I do think I think the UCLA that we all expected to start the season is kind of kind of actually, you know, coming out there now. They're get, they're they're starting to figure it out on defense. They're being pretty consistent on offense. We know Chip can dial it up with the best of them. I know that DJU uh, and Oregon State had a big win last week, and he had a great game. But I I I still don't see the consistency from DJU. So I think he's going to be game up and game down from week to week. I think this is a down game for him. UCLA wins.
1: All right, next one on the agenda there would be Cal on the road at Utah. Utah's a 13 and a half point favorite at home, which normally you'd say, yeah, absolutely, but they have not been able to score at all without Cam rising. Their defense is obviously very good. Is Cam but Cal has also put up uh I don't know 70 points in the last two games. Uh, so they're finding some offense there too. Is you can is Cam Rising coming back? Uh, I don't know. That's the key to this spread to me. Like if he's back, I'll take Utah to
2: cover. If he's not back, I'm taking Cal on the points. Yeah, I, I did take Utah. I agree with you. I don't think Cam Rising will be back this week. I'm, I'm guessing he's got another couple of weeks at least, and I'm just guessing. I don't follow that closely enough to be an insider on that, but. I, I did take Utah. I think being at home, I think the fact um, that they're very physical at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, I think they'll wear down Cal. I know Cal can put up some points, but they can also put up some duds too. I think Utah wins this one, although that 13.5-point spread was really tough to pick pick against. Yeah, that's a lot of points for Utah this year, especially if Rising doesn't play.
1: All right, Stanford on the road to Colorado. Uh, Travis Hunter may play, according to Dion, in this one. Uh, Colorado is an eleven and a half point home favorite. Their offense has kind of lost its way after the USC game. I mean, obviously Oregon stonewalled them, and then um, they did have a late explosion against USC, but really they did not. They did not move the ball or score very well at all last week against uh, was it Arizona ASU. State. Uh, yeah, ASU. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So that was a little surprising to me. But they're back at home. They're an 11.5-point favorite
2: against the worst team in the conference by far, Stanford. Who do you like in this one? Uh, I picked Colorado. The point spread was tough. I picked them because I think Travis Hunter will be back, and I think that will help the offense maybe get back on track a little bit. Um, I wouldn't dare say that any one player can, you know, Changed the total outcome of the game, but I think he can get them back on track. And like you said, Stanford's really, really bad, and Colorado's at home. So I did go with Colorado here. All right, one more halfway
1: Pac-12 game as Arizona State is off this week, but USC goes on the road to South Bend to take on Notre Dame coming off of their second loss of the season. Kind of really got dominated by Louisville. Um, Notre Dame, though, was a two-and-a-half-point home favorite against the
2: Trojans. Who do you like in this one? Notre Dame is not that good. And we, we you know, I kind of felt that way early on. It, it, they clearly got exposed a little bit here, but USC is worse. And I think people are really starting to figure out that USC is not a very good football team uh, in a lot of areas on the field other than quarterbacks. So I've got Notre Dame in this one. I think USC takes its first loss. Uh, and I think we'll really start to kind of hear the boo birds on USC coming out after this weekend.
1: Yeah, it, it, someone I, I heard uh, some people make some comparisons f- from this USC team to the the Jameis Winston twenty not first Jameis Winston team, the second Jameis Winston team, the one that Oregon beat in the Rose Bowl, right? That just kind of kept skating by, you know. Every game they won them all. They went thirteen and zero. They they made it to the playoffs, but every but everyone felt like this is not a very good team. They just right. keep— You know, and that I I, people have been saying that about USC this year. And I I kind of agree with that. I think and and the other comparison I, I made, ironically enough, is like the 2012 Notre Dame team that actually made it to the national title game against US against Alabama and got their doors blown off is like that was another team where they played like eight or nine one score games. And they they just managed to find a way to win every one of them. But they got to that BCS title game. And you're just like this might be the sixth or seventh best team in the country. Right? Like they're not, they're not number one and they aren't number two either. Um, and then, uh, so I kind of feel like obviously not the same, like this USC team will score more than that team, obviously, but, I, but their defense is so bad. And honestly, it feels like a team to me that if they hit, if USC hits a loss or two, I think the team could just quit. Yeah. I th- I just think they're like mentally a soft program and, um, it just feels like okay, you lose Notre Dame, maybe you lose to Washington or Oregon down the road, and then the team just packs it in, and Caleb, you know, starts prepping for the draft, and
2: it, I don't know. It just feels like that that kind of USC team to me. Yeah, as I was say, Caleb starts prepping for the draft, and Lincoln starts taking interviews in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that could be too. All right, we'll I, go. Know, we got five I, more. I know why I say that, and people are like, okay, you're, you're just hate on USC. The dude's gonna go to the NFL. I just like, I don't know how people. I, I mean, it's just, I don't know. He's gonna get. Here's gonna be the storyline, and I, I've, I've held on to it, and I didn't want to say. Lincoln Riley ends up at the same team as Caleb Williams in this coming draft. It's gonna be a huge story. Who, you know, I could be totally wrong, but that's my prediction. <laughs> uh, i I've, I've, you know, I've said this. If Lincoln Riley
1: plans to go to the NFL. Like, doesn't this seem like the most obvious time, right? Your quarterback's leaving. You're going to a new conference. You've got to recruit differently. You've got to play all of these, you know, Big Ten, Penn State, Ohio State. Not, you not just have Oregon to deal with, right? But now you've got to deal with Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan every year, too. And, you know, it seems like if you're going to go to the NFL, like, this is the time to do it. But we'll see how yeah. it plays out. Yeah. All right. Uh, national games. Texas A&M on the road at Tennessee. Three and a half point home
2: favorite here in this one. I got the Vols. I think Texas A&M is starting to spiral. Uh, I kind of felt like they would. Um, I've got. I've got Tennessee. I think. They, I actually think the three and a half points was a was a gimme in my opinion. All right,
1: Auburn at LSU. This one is a bigger spread, eleven points in favor of the home. Didn't LSU play a Tiger game last week? They got another Tiger game. There's too many Tigers. Why are so many Tigers? <laughs> the SEC has three Tiger teams. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. I, they they need to have like a, some sort of like competition to decide who gets to
2: keep the Tigers and who has to change their name. Yeah, or at least you could be the Bengal Tigers and the Tigers and the whatever. But yeah, yeah. Uh, LSU and Auburn, 11-point the- 11, 11 spread. LSU's the home team. They score a lot of points. Uh, Auburn's still not very good yet. They're getting better. I, I picked LSU and, and and to cover the 11-point spread. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, North Carolina, 3.5-point
1: home favorite against Miami Hurricanes and Mario. <laughs> I,
2: think, I feel like we could talk about this game a lot, right? If we wanted to, but <laughs> <laughs> we won't. I, I, I picked North Carolina, three and a half points is it a ton? Uh, Drake May is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I'll, I'll never dispute that. I think that loss last week to Miami was an absolute backbreaker. Uh, and that it was it's another thing. It's the kind of game you lose twice. It's the kind of game that beat you twice. Well, and I, I think uh, yeah, that's a great that's a great analogy there. I just think that, that I think that Miami, uh, like you said a few minutes ago, has been skating by. Um, you know, not really playing anybody worth a darn. Um so yeah, I got North Carolina. All right missouri tigers the
1: other sec tigers we're covering them all we're a tiger we're a full tiger podcast um missouri tigers going to kentucky two and a half point underdog on the road kentucky's
2: the favorite there at home Uh, I will be honest. I don't have a great feel for this game. Probably the one I'm I'm least knowledgeable about. But I did I picked Kentucky. Uh, you know, being the home team, Missouri always kind of flops a game every year. I think this might be that game. So I I did go with Kentucky, and it's only two and a half points, so it was a fairly easy pick. Lack of knowledge has not been hurting you this year, Hop, because you're you're winning. Okay. So keep keep rolling. Maybe I should start betting. I've never been a big better, but apparently it's something I should be doing. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, and these are games that we're picking for. Like, we're picking the games you have to bet on, right? So if you actually get to pick the games you get to bet on, you should be even better. All right, one more. Uh, G5 matchup in the American. This is probably the best two teams in the American. The winner of this has a, a an opportunity to compete with the Mountain West champion for that spot in the Fiesta Bowl.
2: But it's Tulane as a four-and-a-half-point road favorite at Memphis. Uh, give me Tulane. I think they'll get it done. I think they'll... They, they score points, and I think this is kind of one of those quiet teams nobody's really talking about that they should. So I've got Tulane winning this one, and the four and a half points is going to be an easy cover.
1: Yeah, and I saw today that they announced their, like, uniforms for the week, or whatever, their helmet at least, and it's... They're wearing... Apparently, the Tulane fans call it the Bacon Wave helmet because the the little wave on it that looks like two strips of bacon side by side yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so they
1: call it apparently they lovingly refer to it as the bacon wave helmet so i think the bacon wave
2: is the difference maker in this one so you're probably you're probably right Could call. Bacon makes bacon makes everything better right so it's going to make them better by default absolutely absolutely <laughs> all right
1: Th- that's all the picks we have Hop. before we uh before we say goodbye anything else you want to touch on
2: uh, no i don't think so you know uh- i know that you've got them and you know, going to record with andrew later appreciate you making time with me on this appreciate the support of the podcast and on the site and uh you know i this is one of those games where you know with the bye week you talk about it and you talk about it and you're finally just ready for the game to happen and and that's where i'm at i'm excited but it's like all right let's get this game going so uh should be uh should be an awesome awesome hopefully super awesome you know next few days for duck fans so stay tuned Sounds
1: good. All right. Take care. Follow him on uh, ScoopDuck.com and go and subscribe if you aren't already. We'll be back after this break with QB. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to
2: wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts
1: ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message
2: and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: All right, and welcome back to the QB11 show. I am joined now by QB11 himself, Andrew. Um, we, I'm sure you'll catch this on the listen, but we had a good session with Pop talking about recruiting primarily, and he also uh, picked, gave some thoughts on the Washington game and made his picks for the week. But now I'm here to talk with you about this big matchup this weekend up in Seattle. The Huskies are a two and a half to three point favorite, depending on uh, you know when and where you look. Um, let's start with just kind of some high level thoughts about this game, and then we can dig into. I've got a bunch of stats and analytics that can pull up and you can talk a little bit about offense, defense on both sides. But let's just kind of start at the high level. You know, what's your initial thoughts? Obviously, the impact of this game is huge. The winner is has a huge leg up on making it to Las Vegas. The loser is still in control of their own destiny to make it there as well. But uh, obviously,
0: the winner kind of has a mulligan going forward. So what are your thoughts? I mean, in terms of like the importance of this game i think it's important for a lot of reasons but especially after how that game ended last year in odt i think more than anything else it's about reestablishing who the dominant program is in the northwest um and this is not necessarily as much of a like future thing cuz this game is going to have basically zero impact on recruiting and um I-, I think we can clearly see which directions these two programs are going from a talent acquisition standpoint but Like this is a team that's been really hyped by Husky fans and by and by some members of the media, and I think it's a great opportunity for Oregon to shut down what is like kind of a like build-up year for the Huskies in a lot of ways. Um, And again, put themselves in the driver's seat, um, control the narrative in the conference going forward, and uh, again, like really put the Huskies in a tough spot where they have to win at USC um, to even get back to playing us again in in Vegas.
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, some people might take what I'm about to say the wrong way, but I think it kind of builds a little bit on what you were just getting at as well Is in some ways, the importance of this game is bigger to fans than it, than it might be to the teams. And again, I'm not saying it's not an important game. It usually is. But for the reasons you just mentioned, it doesn't really have, it doesn't eliminate either team from going to Vegas. It doesn't have an impact on 2024 and recruiting and, and the future success of either program but like as fans who absolutely hate each other and, and love to talk trash 365 days a year I mean it's a pretty big advantage for UW fans if they were to win this game you know they're going to have two years they got a streak you know they're they're going to be riding high off of that for quite quite some time and, and Oregon fans like ourselves might have to go uh go hide a little while uh, but conversely, like you said, if Oregon wins, then then the kind of all of that flips the other way again, and and uh, and I do think Oregon will win this game, and we're going to get into that later. But uh, again, I'm not trying to downplay the importance to the programs, because obviously everybody wants to win this game, and, and on both sides, and the players and the coaches all know the importance of this game. And obviously, having to go through the losers bracket essentially, if you don't win, is a much tougher road because you got to be perfect the rest of the way certainly to make the playoffs, then you might have to be perfect the rest of the way just to make the Pac-12 title game. So uh, everyone wants to win, and it's a huge game.
0: I'm not hiding, and I also don't think I'm going to have to worry about it. Um, I'm I'm really excited to dig into this game. This is the first game where I've actually done like extensive film review this year. A lot of these teams didn't take a whole lot, right? Like we're, we're Oregon's been in a situation now where they haven't given up a touchdown. The starters haven't given up a touchdown on defense since the third quarter of the Texas Tech game. Um, so there hasn't been a whole lot of need to really dive in. There hasn't really been a lot of interesting matchups to discuss, and I think that's very different this week. I think there's a lot of really interesting matchups, and uh, I I think that this is a game of matchups. So I'm ready to jump in whenever you are.
1: Yeah, just just a high level thought. I think you know, for me, I think Oregon is, I think the more complete team. I've said that along. I think that for anyone who's like honest about it, I don't think there's any really debate, right? I mean, Oregon has a very balanced offense; they're top ten. Um, in both rushing and passing in the country. Defensively, they're you know significantly improved over last year by all of the metrics as well as the film and and quite a bit better than UW in both of those ways as well on defense. So Oregon definitely has the most real, well-rounded game. Um, Washington probably has the single best quadrant, if you will, with their passing offense. Um, so it's a question of, is that enough to overcome... You know, Oregon's superiority in the other three quadrants of of play. And I guess you know we'll get into those matchups as well. But to me, it's like if Oregon doesn't beat itself, then i I don't think Oregon loses his game because i I think they're deeper. I think they're more talented, and I think they're better in three of those four quadrants, like I mentioned. um I, I think one of the keys I was talking about with Hop earlier is, kind of sustaining the early momentum of the crowd and the atmosphere and the excitement, right? That, you know, the juice that Washington and their fans are going to bring to the game early. Washington started a lot of games hot this year. Oregon's had a couple of slow starts this year. If you can get through, get into the late first quarter, you know, in an even game up or or down, you know, a possession or less, like, then I think Oregon's going to be fine from there on out. If you let, if you kind of let that early game momentum get to you and or in Washington is able to jump out to a, 10 or 14 point lead then i think you're in a dogfight so i think that first 10 minutes is going to be really crucial in this game
0: yeah i agree i i think that if you like in if you were building a team and you had to pick one of those four quadrants and for those who don't know we're talking about like passing offense passing defense passing or, or run defense run offense like, if you're going to build one to make up for all of the others not being as good, it's going to be your passing offense, right? Like, that's what we've seen over the last few years is that teams with elite passing offenses don't have to be as well-rounded. Um, and so that's what makes this game still, like, a really tough matchup is the fact that, like, Washington does have three NFL receivers and, and a future NFL quarterback on their team. And they've got two good offensive tackles, so that like, we're getting pressure off the edge is, is difficult. Um and they've got some players both at tight end and out of the backfield that can present, like, are, are, are competent pass catchers and, and good players. So uh, that one quadrant of their team is good enough to carry them against the majority of opponents because of just proportionally how much better it is, right? And uh, this is where we find out if the Oregon defense has improved in the way that we think it has because uh, ultimately this is very, light, very similar to the Washington team we saw last year. I think that they've made some improvements offensively. Um, having Olifocio healthy, um, I think, improves them defensively. Uh, getting um, Jabbar Muhammad out of the transfer portal, I think, has improved them at corner. But even with that said, like this, when you look statistically at the profiles of these two teams, Oregon has changed much more drastically from a year ago. Uh, and I think that that lines up for a like, styles-make-fights matchup game uh, where Oregon is going to be able to be balanced offensively and do – Uh, a lot of different things whereas like everyone in the stadium knows what washington is going to do but they're so good at it you still got to stop them so
1: yeah just a couple quick kind of high level rankings um looking at fei overall washington's ranked six oregon's ranked seventh Um, offensively washington's one oregon's five Uh, defensively washington is 33 oregon is 17 and fei strength of schedule are both have terrible strength of schedules both the, like in the 100, 100 plus range and in the FEI strength of schedule you know going off of F plus which I know is kind of the blend of uh, for those or listeners who don't know that's the FEI merged with with Bill Connolly's S, S plus ratings which are behind the ESPN firewall so F plus ratings Oregon is seven again Washington six again one and five um, still on offense and defensively Oregon is 18 and Washington is 29 so they're they're evenly matched on the overall level, uh, you know, from that standpoint. I think there's some other stats you can get into on, you know, splitting out kind of into those quadrants we talked about, which we can we can get into later as we get about. Uh, you know, let's start with the Oregon offense, you know, versus the 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 Washington defense, you know, and I've pulled up s- several other models as well. I mean, Oregon offensively ranks they're so balanced, right? I mean, they, they rank. They're either number one or number two in most most systems like efficiency metrics, right? So how consistently do you move the ball, both play by play and drive by drive? Um, explosive wise, they're they're still good. They're not like you know they're not top one explosiveness, but they're they're in that like in beta rank they're in top fifteen. Um, the big thing Oregon doesn't do on offense that is really great is they don't they don't have negative plays and negative drives. Um, they just don't they don't ever go backwards. And that's an underrated, um, uh, an underrated aspect of an offense.
0: Yeah, and the offensive line is basically not giving up any havoc plays. Right? There's no, there's, there's what two sacks? One of them was really just Bowden running out of bounds behind the sticks. Um, but there's, there's basically no negative plays being allowed by this offensive line. And and, and I think that's also in like I think the, the system deserves credit. What Will Stein is doing as a play caller deserves credit in that. And when I when I look at these two teams and when I watch film on Washington. I think Washington's done a, a really good job this year of limiting the explosives. Now they haven't really played anybody with the ability to go explosive on them, other than I guess Arizona in some sense. But um, I still would say that, like Washington, I would give Washington credit for keeping a lid on things for the most part. Uh, but when I look at what Oregon can do as a like a as an offense from a profile standpoint, Oregon doesn't have to rely on explosives to be successful in offense like if if the huskies want to play two deep safeties and and keep everything in front i'm very confident in this offense's ability will stein's ability Bo Nix's ability because of his maturity to remain patient and just run the offense up and down the field and i actually think that that way of doing things benefits oregon in this game because it limits possessions and shortens the game and then became makes the game about which defense can get uh, a, one more stop than the other um, in which case I favor work in defense. So um, I still think this is a team that struggles on in the interior defensive line, like watching tape. They haven't really played anybody who who can keep them honest in the passing game enough to really fully expose it. Um, but what I'm seeing is that like guys like MJ Alle, while they're greatly improved, uh, I think playing like a single gap and playing straight, straight ahead still can't move laterally to save their lives. Uh, Thule doesn't look healthy. Like He, he doesn't look... Like frankly, he hasn't looked particularly good. Like the Arizona game was horrible film for him. And I know he got banged up in that game. And well, supposedly he's going to give it a go this week. But if he's anything like he was in the Arizona game, um, I I don't know that having him on the field is actually the best option for the Huskies. Uh getting yeah. closer yeah, back okay. a linebacker, I think, makes them more uh makes them it gives them a, a great enhanced ability to go sideline to sideline. Uh, but I, I still i still don't really believe in washington's ability uh, nor have i seen on film that they really fit the run all that consistently uh and 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 they have players in the back half specifically at safety that i think are very 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 uh susceptible to giving up big plays over the top whether it's Dominique campton um or cam or um uh, turner who i know is coming back from injury but those are not players that I look at from a coverage standpoint on film and, and think uh, these are guys that can run with or cover when we put Troy Franklin as the number two or number three receiver or Tez Johnson or Trish on or Gary Bryant, right? Um, and so I think that Oregon's got a multitude of ways to win uh, with, with what, with what they're playing at corner Jabar muhammad's been very good so far um i i think he's a good player is he a player good enough to shut down troy franklin no and we'll get to this on the other side i don't know that we have corners that are good enough to shut down but washington has uh but i also look at him from a size standpoint and he's somebody that um i think with a lot of the uh, rpo action zone read action stuff that Oregon likes to run uh is a guy that you can target as someone who's going to struggle to get off perimeter blocks from what i've seen on film so uh
1: i think when you go. You know, and even if Jabbar can hold his own against whoever he's guarding, I think the the problem in the passing game for Washington becomes the drop off from him to anybody else you have playing corner, right? Whether that's Elijah Jackson or whether that's um, uh, Thaddeus Dixon, like you know, you look at you look at the film on them and you look at the just the numbers on them, and the drop off from Jabbar to them is is substantial.
0: And that's against pretty mediocre passing offenses across the board that they've played Arizona, so far yeah. this season. Um, the the the, pure, the 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 strength of this defense, without question, is Braylon Trice. Um, and last year, he had a good running mate with Jeremiah Martin on the other side, who was an undrafted free agent uh, in the NFL last year. But right now, like ZTF is still living off of the hype of his 2020 season, isn't really performing at a consistent level. Um, and and beyond him, whether it's Holtzclaw or anybody else. There's just not a lot of juice. Um, and so it when it comes to a pass rush standpoint, it I really has to be blitzes and failed assignments by the Oregon offensive line, or it has to be trice. And I actually do think that for Trice, this is a fairly good matchup because uh, not again not necessarily against Connor or uh, Cornelius, but more so against Connerly, Like Connerly athletically can mirror with anybody. Um, but this is gonna be a good test to see what his anchor looks like in year two in the strength program because price is is really pure not purely but everything stems from his power rush right so um whether whether he's going to attack that upfield shoulder and try to beat you around the edge with speed like it still starts with power um getting that getting those long arms extended uh and then also his counter moves are are primarily inside bull rush moves And, and that's what he did to jordan morgan against arizona um and whenever he's created pressure throughout the season he's creating short corners by by taking speed to power so um I, I think that that will be a matchup to watch for Oregon. If Connerly can hold up on the left side against him, uh, I really don't have any concern about what they could put opposite of him against Cornelius. Um, and, and on the interior of the offensive line, I think Oregon's got a pretty decided advantage against the core of this of this uh, Washington defense. Um,
1: yeah, they've had they've had a couple of successes sprinkled in throughout the five games. You know, think. Um, no, always had a couple of pressures. I think the one of the part of the park Javon Parker, Parker twin who plays, has had a couple. I mean, not nothing like you know, not consistently throughout a five game stretch, but here and there. But again, I, I think the Oregon's interior has struggled at, in run in the run game at times, but they have not struggled in the pass blocking game
0: no no and i think one of the things that it's funny because huskies talk the most trash about it, is oregon's lateral passing game and, the, and and it's really an extension of the run right like we talk about this all the time that horizontal stretch um and that's something that i think is going to be very effective against the huskies get, get take take somebody who you think is an effective player in space whether it's Olafosio or hampton or bruner um or or, or whoever really you want to pick on in this game but i think seems like the player not that you want to pick on but the player that you want to put in conflict right like you want to slow him down and play through the other linebacker um and, and that's what that that's what that lateral rpo the sbo stuff does um or sro i should say screen run option stuff does is um it it puts a it takes a number out of the box and so again washington has been very committed to playing with two deep safeties all year I would be surprised if they did that against Oregon. Ultimately, I think they're going to end up going to a bare front and bringing an extra body into the box, uh, and in which case they're going to be daring Bo Nicks to beat them, and I think that he's got the goods to do that. And I think that the Oregon receiver room um, has a pretty decided advantage against this corner room. So it, it's going to be fun to watch. I, I don't see Washington stopping this offense. Um, if, they can get, if we can stop or not have turnovers uh, and, and not beat ourselves with stupid, careless penalties – um, I think this is a game where Oregon should be able to remain balanced and, and keep Washington's defense um guessing.
1: Yeah. And I think you, you go to the run you go to the run game and looking at some of the some of the numbers there. I mean, Oregon you know, by most accounts, you know, either the first or second best run game in the country right now. Um, you know, their overall uh EPA per rush is in the top five. Early down EPA offense is is up in the top ten. Um Their line yards is second in the country right now. That's a stat we talked about a lot last year. Their offensive line yards is second in the country. On Washington's defensive line, their defensive line yards is 116th in the country. I mean, that's a huge disparity. Number two versus number 116th. Washington's defensive stuff rate, 107th. Defensive sack rate, 123rd. Like Huge opportunities on the front for Oregon to dominate on that side of the ball.
0: Yeah, and I think... Like that was predictable coming into the season just by the personnel that they returned. And again, like with Thule not being fully healthy, we'll see. Maybe he's healed up uh and had a miraculous recovery during the bye week. Um, but this is a late round undrafted free agent type player, even went healthy. So this is this is that's the best they've got. Then you should be able to uh find your angles and, and create create space in the running lanes. I think backs like Bucky and, and Jordan James are really good backs against this t- this defense in particular because they're really good at setting up blocks, um and and helping in helping create the that leverage for the offensive line because, uh, I know with how much Oregon likes to run counter, I see a player like uh, Jacob Bandas or um, or uh, MJ Ole and those are guys that again play forward okay but when when you start may- asking them to go laterally, things kind of fall off the tracks and so you can out leverage them with formation shifts and um and and alignment and then just create good down block angles and then you have players that really can't move in space um who have been out just by scheme so uh i i think i want to make sure that it doesn't get lost in all this like braylon trice is a really good player i think eddie Olafosio is a really good player um i think jabbar muhammad so far has shown to be a good player uh But this is not a defense that's deep with high-end talent, and this is a group that should be outmatched against an Oregon offense that's been um, extremely efficient and productive. Uh, although I do think that Washington stylistically is going to try to push Oregon into, into taking shots over the top, um, I think that the separation will be there, but what remains to be seen as if Bo Nix is going to connect on those throws because that's been kind of hit or miss the last couple of weeks. So hopefully it's something that's been addressed uh, through the bye week and Bo is on the same page with those guys because I think there's going to be opportunities for big plays over the top.
1: Going back to, you mentioned Jordan and Bucky, and they're number one and number three in the power five in in yards yards per carry right now. So uh, they're obviously, that's strength for Oregon, as we've been talking about quite a bit. Um, Going back real quick, you know, Oregon is number three in the country at success rate on third and fourth down. So a lot of those are short yardage, right? Third and one, fourth and one, third and two. And Oregon is number three in the country. Washington's eighty seventh at stopping that on defense. Um, and I, I heard another podcast today. I don't remember which one. This isn't my stat, so I haven't verified it. But uh, there are somebody that has typically done their homework. It's one of the national podcasts, but they mentioned that Washington was around a hundredth in the country in like short down, short yardage defense. Like you know, for you know, first third and one or fourth and one that they just they're almost automatic conversions for the other team so and that's that's one of the big
0: misses that's one of the big misses i've seen uh by some people breaking this game down is they think that oregon's gonna have to be explosive offensively i think that oregon is more than comfortable operating in six to 12 yard chunks all the way up and down the field because if they stay ahead of the chains we'll be in four down territory more often than not and the odds of washington getting stops in those short yardage situations is very minimal Oh,
1: and as we've seen with Dan, four down territory goes uh, well past the fifty yard line. Uh, you know, one a rush, rushing defensive success rate, another stat. Washington, hundred first in the country, right? So that that running game strength. I, I'm with you. Like I, everyone's talking about, especially you kind of get the the national guys who are checking in for the first time all year, right? And everyone's talking about Bo versus Mike, you know, Penix versus Nix, and I think the the rushing advantage that Oregon has in this game is is really. And under talked about, um. and, and Washington, the Washington fans believe that they stopped the run well. Uh, the advanced stats don't back that up. My film review doesn't back that up, but I guess we're gonna find out.
0: Yeah, I think this is a uh, fuck around and find out game, for lack of a better word. Um, I, I have a lot of confidence in this Oregon offense, and I also think that this is a game that matters enough to where you'll see Bo used sparingly in the run game, which he hasn't really been used hardly at all this year. Um, giving him the option again just if you already think you have an advantage pulling an additional defender out of the game um, only helps those numbers and so uh, I I think situationally you'll see Bo ran this week uh, because of the implications of the game and I think it matters a lot to the team so um, again obviously want to want to reduce hits as much as possible and I think that can be done Uh, but keeping his legs as an active part of the offense will also keep Washington on their heels
1: Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to talk about on that side
0: of the ball? No, not really. I think that uh, we the far more interesting matchup is Oregon's defense against Washington's offense and um, how Washington will attack Oregon and how Oregon will attempt to defend or I guess how we expect Oregon to, to attempt to defend uh, what is a really good uh, Washington passing game.
2: Yeah,
1: let me run over a couple of the high level stats here. So um I'll start with beta rank. So they've got Washington as the number two offense, thirteenth in drive efficiency, second in explosive drive, second in uh play efficiency, fifth in negative drives, um, first in effective pass, their their one negative is effective rush, one hundred and eleventh, right? They they don't run the ball often. Uh, but when they do, they don't really do it very well. And I think we were looking at some film of that the other day that kind of demonstrated their offensive line is just not not getting a lot of push. Um, so I think if you're, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Oregon decides to defend them.
0: Yeah, I think I think let's start with some high level personnel stuff. So for uh, we'll start on the on the offensive line. Um, Roger, Roger at right tackle, is a really good athlete. Like I, I love his recovery ability and pass pro. I, I don't think he's someone that. Um, there's a lot of favorable matchups against in pass pro. Uh, I'll be interested to see how his anchor holds up against someone with with really good power in Jordan Birch, but you're not really beating him with speed. I think uh, even if you try to counter move, he's got really good lower body bend and flexibility and he could recover. Um, Troy Falutano on the other side, a little different athletic profile. He's not nearly as long. I think he probably projects better at guard at the next level, Uh, but he's a really good college tackle and he's a really good athlete. Um, and so I I think that like part of what makes this an underrated part of what makes this offense so potent is the fact that they really have strong tackle play specifically uh, in pass pro. I think that both these guys have been stellar in pass pro, um, and I I think that that's kind of an an underrated facet of their offense. Um, moving to the to the to the uh, backfield, obviously Michael Penix has been exceptional since arriving in uh, Seattle and reuniting with with Kalen DeBoer Uh, and then getting to like the real brass tacks of it is that the wide receiver position I fully expect um, Polk's been healthy but Odunze got banged up at the end of the game sounds like he's full go Um, and then also Jalen McMillan will be making his return after missing a couple weeks with a knee injury so um, they're going to be full full armament of receivers and weapons and they have a really good quarterback and an offensive line that's done a good job of keeping them upright um and pass pro. So that to me is like very clearly um the like the the deciding matchup in this Oregon offense versus or sorry, Oregon defense versus Washington offense is that passing game, the pass pro, uh and Michael Penix because watching the Boise State film specifically, like if you give him lots of time, which Boise State did, um, he's pretty surgical where I see him, and again, it's not like it's not like a drastic drop-off. I think he's really efficient in all situations, but where the most drastic drop-off in his, his gameplay is is when you move him off his spot, um, getting him off-platform. And I think that the best way to do that due to the tackle play uh, is through the middle of the defense, where they retur- were replacing three starters from a year ago um, and actually have had some additional injuries that have caused, caused them to kind of reshuffle some things. Parker Brailsford, I think, has a really bright future. He's a good athlete at center. Um, but he's not the strongest guy in the world at this stage, and he's not particularly long. Uh, and when I look at what Oregon does well on the interior of the defense, both from a simulated pressure standpoint, but also just rushing three or four um, and, and isolating matchups with either Popo Mave uh, or Brandon Dorlis, that, that body type is the body type that they really feast on the most. Like the the guy who's six two, two sixty five, two seventy five, who doesn't have exceptional length. Uh, is a guy that's going to really struggle against the quickness and power that both of those guys bring to the table. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Doug? Yeah, no, I think the interior uh, to
1: me the the place and the the matchups in this game that I'm tr- going to try to focus on um, your know, play by play when Washington has the ball is which this is going to sound crazy to some people is I'm going to be watching that that interior battle between their guard center guard and our and our front, right? Because I do think that's an area where Oregon should have uh, a substantial advantage, and and I want to watch to see if that plays out. Because if it doesn't, then I think that um, that could, you know, be a real key for Washington to to win this game or, or keep this game close or whatever, however you want to call it, right? But if Oregon is able to dominate on that interior like I think they can, then... I think that's going to be kind of a bellwether for the rest of the game.
0: And this is something that I think could force Washington to try to run the ball more than they've had to the rest of the year is um, you have a young center calling protections against definitely the defense with the most inventory of different types of pressures and ways of creating confusion and movement on the interior of the defensive line. Um, And so slowing that down, how do you slow that down? Ultimately, you probably – um, try to outgap them in the run game and, and catch them when they when they try to play games. Um, and th- I don't know that Washington's going to do that. So uh, I don't think this is a game where you're going to see a lot of overload pressures. What I mean by that is like five and six man pressures where Oregon's just trying to bring more guys. And there are blockers. I think what you see here a lot is a lot of simulated pressures and and, and stuff really targeting the a gaps where you have inexperienced or in my opinion lesser talented players uh, specifically at the guards and Nate Colepo has been there for a long time. And um, every once in a while he'll flash something really nice, but th- there's a lot of times too, where he bends at the waist and lunges and just kind of lifts. And so um, I think there's opportunities there to create confusion. And I think that the best way to, to affect Penix is actually through the a gaps where you force him off his initial spot, which really screws up timing and gives your defense uh, an opportunity to, to tip balls in, in, in generally like, turnovers come off tips and overthrows so yeah I, I think
1: you you hear a lot of people talk and this is true right a lot of husky families say, well oregon has it you know oregon has the number one ranked pass defense in the country right now uh which is true but uh, you know the argument is well they haven't played anybody and there's some truth to that um you haven't played anybody like washington's three receivers and michael Penix. absolutely 100 true but washington hasn't faced a defensive line anywhere nor will they for the rest of the season outs, outside of maybe Utah that's anywhere near as effective and talented and quite frankly veteran as this Oregon group on the interior particularly
0: yeah and that like they can they can go with bodies and, and go in waves um and i i wouldn't i wouldn't count out the ability to to create occasional pressure off the edge but again i i really have a lot of respect for uh, both of these tackles, Faltanu and Rosengarten. Uh, but in the run game, like this is an edge that Oregon can very easily control. Um, specifically a right tackle. I think Rosengarten is a much, much better pass protector than he is run blocker. He's more of a positional run blocker, like a pin and post player. Um, he's not someone that generates a lot of a lot of like power organically just due to his frame. In the same way that Connerly doesn't yet at this stage in his development either. Um I think they're pretty similar athletes. So uh, Seeing seeing that, I, I don't I don't expect I don't expect a lot of runs from Washington. I think that they know that, that wouldn't is not the most efficient way to do things. Uh and, and I think that ultimately they're just gonna make the decision to rely on that quarterback and, and receivers. I mean, that's what did it last year. I think it's a it's a different Oregon secondary, but if you're Washington, you wanna challenge them nonetheless and see if if they can keep if they can hold up. So um kind of transitioning to the back half of the defense for Oregon, I think a lot of people are expecting a lot of man coverage. Oregon's run a ton of man coverage. I know Hithliday thinks that man coverage is the best way to, to, to defend Washington. Um, yes, as long as you're getting pressure, I I, I think that expecting um, safeties specifically or nickelbacks to hold up against McMillan in the slot for long periods of time and man coverage is a fool's errand. I, I think ultimately what Oregon does, and I know our friend Bud Elliott said this this morning on, on the Cover 3 podcast, is just play too high, play a lot of zone, keep things in front, play the eyes, um, and, and don't allow yak, like make tackles. I think I'm watching Arizona and some of the other teams that Washington's played when they've gone underneath, there's been a lot of yak. Um, and I think that one thing that is greatly improved and has been a strength of this Oregon defense is tackling in the secondary, um, and their ability to limit those plays, uh, and, and make, make you execute on third down. Um, and Oregon was a horrible third down defense this year. They've been very good this year to this point. Um, and I think that the matchups at corner are a lot more favorable for Oregon than they were a year ago. Uh it sounds crazy. Christian Gonzalez was fantastic. He would be the best corner on this team, no questions asked. Uh, but I think that the second best corner on this team is better. Uh or I say I would say the second or third best corner on this team is better than the second best a year ago, which means that there's more, uh there's more capable guys back there. Evan Williams at safety is a much better athlete than his brother. Um, I think Taishim uh, has done a lot of really good things. It'll be interesting to see if he primarily plays a nickel or at safety. I think I think we'll probably go three corners more times than not in this game, um, as we've alluded to previously on the pod.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Brian Addison has kind of been a little banged up. I think he missed last week, uh, or two weeks ago. And, and him, his return in this game, I think, is also, you know, would be, would help the Oregon defense, because I think in, in, this is the type of matchup that, at safety, that he plays well in, right? Just being, you know, kind of being the long-rangey a you know, guy that can cover ground back there um, in the passing game. So I think you know him coming back you know, is a key because I think it pushes Steve Stevens a little bit down in the snap count chart, which I think it's a better matchup for Brian than it is for Steve.
0: Yeah, and one of the things and getting Justin Jacobs back, we'll see how much rust he has on him. I mean, I don't have super high expectations coming back in a game like this, um, but if he can play great coverage, that is massive for work. Um, because... Jamal Hill's been fantastic in coverage. Boss has been good in coverage. Betcher's been much better in coverage than uh playing the run. And when you compare that to the group last year, which featured Flo, Leduc, and Sewell, who none of the three were particularly capable in coverage, Oregon now has a much more athletic um and instinctive group of cover backers that I think make quite an impact on this game, both in their ability to get into actual. Like, actually interfere with route concepts with their drops and not just drop to a spot. Uh but also their their open field tackling and their athleticism to close and finish in space.
1: Yeah, I, I think that obviously the matchup in the in the back half of the defense is going to decide whether this game is uh a comfortable Oregon win or a close game or or perhaps even a comfortable Washington win, which would be the most surprising of those three outcomes to me. Um, because I just, I don't, I see, I think we come back to, you know, kind of the base principles, right? Like who can get more stops in this game? And I, it feels to me like Oregon's defense is better equipped to get more stops than Washington's defense is.
0: Yeah. And I think if you're Oregon, like you just have to be okay surrendering yards. Like, Penix is going to make throws the receivers are going to make plays they're going to break tackles they're going to get some yak uh what you can't live with is one big play dictating a whole drive so getting having a 60-yard touchdown I and mean, oregon gave up multiples of those last year when oregon got washington in the red zone i thought they were very capable of stopping them um and i think that really that's what you do if you're oregon. like if, if washington can whittle their way down to the 20-yard line that's great now it really frees up your ability to play different types of defenses and be more aggressive, uh, play more man coverage. Yeah. Um, and you can throw the pressure post in there. Yep. Exactly. Right. There's less space to work with. And, and, and so again, but Elliot, the sporting said red zone roulette. I love that, that saying um, it's something that he and I had talked about this morning before they went live as something that I think like if you're Oregon, like just don't die in all one in one bullet, um, mm-hmm. make them execute all the way down the field. Um, and and when you have a quarterback that throws such a high volume of passes as Penix, like every time you put it in the air, eventually there's going to be one that might be able to be caught by one of your guys. Right. Um, and so being able to force turnovers, being able to limit explosives um, and force Washington to run the ball, force them into situations where like it's short yardage. And if they, they want to drop and, and try to throw the ball, be my guest, but we're also going to be able to bring pressure and play man coverage in those situations because the field's so condensed. So, uh i think that's the ticket for oregon is is not giving up explosives really casting a large net keeping things in front being okay with surrendering yards at times in this game um and then and then long long drives offensively uh not not relying on the explosive play as much and and just running your offense up and down the field
1: yeah i mean if you look back to last year's game even right like the difference in that game was the two long touchdown passes right outside of that um, Oregon made Washington drive the field, and and they did score on some of those drives. I, they kicked a couple of field goals, uh, which is a win in this game. But, uh, Washington kicking a field goal is a win in this game. If on any possession they kick a field goal, that's a win for Oregon. Yeah. Uh, so think about it that way um, as well. But you know, if you're if you're playing a ten possession game, you know if you can keep them to half touchdowns and and the other half being a mixture of field goals and and no points, that's a win. And yep, that, even though that's 40 points, that's still a win because if you have 10 possessions, you're going to get that, too, or more. Yeah. A um, couple other just quick stats, you know, going into points per drive. It just, just shows you the evenness of these two teams in, in some ways and, and where they're not even in other ways. Points per drive, Oregon's first, Washington's second, and offensive points per drive. Defensively, Oregon is eighth, Washington's 19th. Overall, Oregon's second. Uh, available yards, Oregon on offense is number Washington is number one on defense. Oregon is 10. Washington is 35. And then yards per play, Oregon offensively is number five. Washington is number one. Defensively, Oregon is nine. Washington, 32. So, again, it just illustrates offensively, they're both elite. Um, Defensively, Oregon is, is, you know, decidedly better um, according to the numbers. But the game won't be played on paper will be played
0: by the numbers and you know these guys got to come out and and do it that's one thing I really like about Oregon is in this game is that I think they're decidedly the more physical team um, and we've seen when Oregon's juiced up and ready to go uh, they've they've had the ability to impose their will this season uh, and I think that that's something that we see in this game um, is that ultimately Oregon's able to turn the physicality up to a level that Washington can't match
1: yeah, I think of the Colorado game as the perfect example of that, right? I know the, the Washington stand fans will point to the Tech game being on the road and, and and that game. I mean, we talked about this at the time. That was Oregon's first game of the year. I'm, Portland State was a scrimmage. That wasn't a game. Like no, you know that doesn't prepare you for anything. Uh, you know, and especially with a lot of new players on both sides of the ball. Uh, to me, the Tech game was the real first game of the year, and and I looked to the Colorado game, and that game had a lot of excitement and a lot of juice around it. And Oregon came out and. Um, imposed their will from the jump on that game. Now, obviously, this game—that game was at home. This game will be up in Seattle, and that's where that first thing I said earlier comes back into play: is you've got to come out and impose your will on the road in the same way you're able to do at home, right? And not and not let that momentum jump on you early. And if they do that, I I think Oregon's the better team, and uh, I predicted them winning by ten, and I'm going to stick by that. So that's my my first prediction: is uh, Oregon by ten, and they. Obviously win on the road as a dog in the point spread game.
0: Yeah, I'm taking Oregon to win. Um I I, I actually put like decent chunk of change on the money line this week. Um and uh I, I just think that Oregon has more ways to win. So in game in a game where there could be like variables where there's things that go wrong for either team, um, I think that the more well-rounded and deep football team has a lot more opportunities to win. So, if this game's played ten times, I think Oregon wins seven of them. Uh, and with that said, I'm going to take the Ducks as well.
1: All right, let's uh, take a quick break, and we'll come back and give the rest of our picks. All right, QB, we are back. Uh, we made our picks for the Oregon game. We're both on the Ducks, obviously. I'm going to be up there at the game in person, so uh, looking forward to that one. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere, I'm sure, quite a bit better than when I was up there two years ago and they didn't have any fans in the stands. But they did have a coach
0: get fired, so <laughs> what my what a difference two years makes. Yeah, I... uh Wish I could say I wish I was at this game, but, I mean, Seattle's just not all that appealing to me. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha.
1: All right, let's get into the rest of these games. There's uh, five other, well, four and a half other Pac-12 games this week. Arizona State is on a bye. So Washington State, fresh off of their road loss at UCLA, will come home as an eight-point favorite against the Arizona Wildcats who've come in off of two very respectable losses to Washington and USC in, in both games, I, particularly the USC game, I think they should have won. The Washington game, I think they could have won. Um, but now they're on the road at Washington State. Another tough matchup for them. Who do you like in this one? Eight points.
0: Yeah, I uh, I like Arizona to cover this. If it was six and a half, I'd probably take Washington State. But I actually think that Arizona defensively has done a good job uh, against teams with similar systems. Uh, and I think that, that Arizona's kind of Back against their wall after the last two weeks of close losses, and and I think that they find a way to get this one done. Um, so I'm going to take Arizona to cover. I I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona won.
1: Uh, yeah, I I if this game was being played on a neutral site or in Arizona, I would be I'd be all over the Wildcats because I agree with everything you just said. But the Palouse is just a weird, funky, tricky, tough place to play. Arizona's coming off of two very Hard-fought battles. They're also potentially going to switch back quarterbacks to Delora, which I don't like uh, at all. In this game, playing at his former um, his former team, and I just think that's a that's a recipe for a Jaden Delora special for interception type of game. Obviously, if he starts going downhill, they could pull him and put in Fafita back in. But I like Washington State. I think coming out coming home off of their loss last week, they're going to bounce back, and I think they're going to cover this.
0: Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't just roll with Fafita. I, I think he gives them a more managed like he's a more manageable player. I don't know that the the highs are going to be as high, but the lows are certainly higher. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're- that's a you'd rather
1: have a more consistent player with a lower ceiling than somebody who can throw you in a, into a game well,
0: or out of a how game. How infrequently so. though? Like the problem with with Dolores is how infrequently a ceiling is hit? Like it's like once every four weeks. Yeah, it's about twice. A, a season
1: three times a season maybe yeah i i'm with you I, I don't know why you would bring him back and maybe he won't maybe they're just posturing um but we'll see i'm rolling with fajitas Fajita. fajitas Fafita. Fafita. gotcha yeah hold it all right <laughs> ucla on the road in corvallis take on oregon state this one as we've talked about the loser of this game is out of the pac-12 race in my opinion, because that'll be two losses. The winner of this game, however, has, especially if it's UCLA, has quite the inside track on on getting into, into the hunt for Vegas. It's a very important game, an elimination game, in my opinion, in the Pac-12 race. Oregon State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Justin took UCLA earlier. I'm all over the Bruins on this one, too. I just think they're a better team. Their defense is super impressive this year. Who do you got, yeah. QB?
0: I like the Bruins as well. I think uh, the secondary has actually been a little bit better than I thought it would be, but I don't really think that there's anything about Oregon State's passing game that um, should threaten the Bruins all that much. But what they're able to do in the sec- in, uh, in, in the front, um, the pass rush that they have is unique in this conference. I think it's the best this conference has to offer in terms of pass rush. Uh, and I think they're going to be able to, to bottle up this Oregon State run game for the most part, I mean, as well as you can, right? Like It's a good team uh, that executes at a pretty high level. And then offensively, I think UCLA um, is going to figure out some things and and get some things going through the air. All right, so we're all on UCLA
1: in this one. Next up, Utah, aforementioned Utah team may have Cam rising, may not. Uh, As usual, Kyle Whittingham is being very coy about that. Uh, They are a 13.5-point home favorite against Cal, who's put up some points over the last few weeks against Washington and uh, who was it last week?
0: that ends here can we give me the two touchdowns (laughs)
1: yeah we all have utah on this one as well justin and i also have utah i I feel a lot better about this if rising plays because utah's offense just struggles so much but um but cal doesn't have a very good defense utah's playing at home utah's defense is the dominating um side of the ball in this game so i'm rolling with utah as well but it's a lot of points for them yeah all right, Stanford on the road at Colorado. Colorado looking to get uh, continue their winning ways. They had a tough game against ASU, surprisingly close game against ASU. Uh, they are an 11.5-point home favorite against what is by far the worst team in this conference, the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, Colorado,
0: Justin and I both took Colorado. What do you like? I'm going to go against you guys. I'm probably going to regret it, but I'm going to take Stanford. I think it's too many points. Uh, and I actually think that Stanford's going to be able to play a little bit of bully ball up front and and run and find some success running the ball i think they've got enough different players out of the backfield whether it's e.j smith or casey fillikens the quarterbacks um that i think that they're gonna be able to condense this game and keep it closer i don't think they're gonna win uh but i do think that they can cover the 11 and a half
1: you make a good point about the bully ball uh because that is something colorado is definitely susceptible to i think uh, troy taylor try- is a pretty damn good offensive play coach too so well, I can give you that. He just doesn't have the horses there yet, but we'll see how that plays out. No, but right, it's, and it's, it's relative to Cam-
0: it's relative to Colorado this week. It's not like they're they're not playing us again. <laughs> yeah, thank, I'm
1: sure they're very thankful of that. Uh, finally, USC on the road at Notre Dame. The Irish are a two and a half point home favorite in here, coming off of their kind of embarrassing loss to Louisville last week, and Notre Dame just their gauntlet continues. They, you know, Ohio State, Duke. Louisville now USC uh Justin
0: took Notre Dame in this one who do you like I'm struggling with this one I've gone back and forth on it all day I think when I initially texted you this morning um I was gonna take uh Notre Dame I I do think Caleb Williams is a really special player and I think that he can do things um to keep this game competitive and it wouldn't surprise me if USC won I just think that Notre Dame controls the line of scrimmage and is able to shorten this game. And with that in mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Fighting Irish. I'm um, hoping that they get some receivers back to full health this week because uh, that passing the game has been pretty rough with with the reserves. Yeah,
1: this one is an interesting one to me. I was kind of surprised to see Notre Dame as the favorite, but then not at the same time. I do think their defense obviously has been the be- the best part of their of their team, particularly if you look at the the Duke game and the. And the ISD State game, not nearly as much in the Louisville game. So that's why I'm rolling with USC. I think Notre Dame's just kind of beat down after the stretch of tough games. I think Caleb Williams is the difference maker here. I don't think Notre Dame, even against USC's bad defense, I just don't know that I could trust Notre Dame to score enough points here. So I'm going to take Caleb Williams and USC uh, to win this one.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you on that. I think if it's close late, USC wins, so... All right, let's move on. we got five more
1: games to pick around the country. We're going to start in the SEC. Texas A&M coming off their loss to Alabama goes on the road as a a three-and-a-half-point road underdog at Tennessee.
0: Yeah, I'm switching my pick on this one, too. I was going to take A&M, but the more I thought about it, the more I dug into this matchup, because I actually did some research this week, so I'm tired of getting freaking crushed. Uh, I, I like the Tennessee pass rush against what's been a pretty porous offensive line for A&M. Um, and I think that Tennessee will figure out a way to score some points at home. So give me uh, give me the the volunteers minus the three and a half. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup. Justin
1: also took Tennessee.
0: Uh, this is an interesting
1: matchup because I do feel like the Texas A&M defense is really good, but they're good against the run. They're really good against the run. They're not so great against the pass. Uh, the secondary and has not Tennessee- been great this year. Yeah, and Tennessee throws the ball, so I do see a matchup advantage there for Tennessee as long as they can keep their quarterback from from getting uh, pounced on. On the other side, man, I just does Texas A&M's offense do anything well?
0: I mean, they're just kind um, of okay. Not as much without Connor Wigman, and I, I just don't I don't love their offensive line. Right, so
1: yeah, I, I had Texas A&M here, but I think I'm switching my pick to Tennessee. Well, do you think right. or are you? I am. I am switching my pick to Tennessee. Got it. All right. Uh, staying in the SEC, another Tiger versus Tiger matchup. There's a lot of Tigers in the SEC. We had Tiger versus Tiger last week. We have another Tiger versus Tiger. This time it's Auburn Tigers at the LSU Tigers, who are an 11 half or sorry, 11 point home favorite in this one. Justin and I are all all LSU Tigers in this one. We're going with the Bayou the Bayou Bengals, if you will.
0: Is that what I'm they're taking, called? They, they call them that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, taking, okay. the, I'm taking the Tigers. Um, which one? <laughs> which Tigers? I thought I could get a free one here. Uh, I'm taking yeah. LSU. I, I just yeah. think LSU offensively is going to— they'll score points, and I don't know that Auburn will. Despite yeah, the fact that the, like yeah. Auburn Auburn is not— so the the front for LSU is actually really good. The secondary is horrible robbie ashford and Peyton exploit Thorne are not built to take advantage of a bad secondary so uh, i'm definitely taking lsu minus the 11 here I, I bet this one in real life
1: i would take i would i would probably take this one up to like 15 16 17 i mean like it just i don't know how auburn scores in this game or scores very much Especially and, you know, maybe the they'll get 10 points and lsu's gonna get 30 or 35 i i, I this one smells blowout to me yeah uh, Miami, uh, fresh off of the do we kneel or do we not kneel um, decision, is going after that gut puncher. They're going on the road to take on North Carolina. Tar Heels are a three and a half point home favorite in this one. I'm rolling with the, the Tar Heels. Justin's got the Tar Heels.
0: What do you got? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with the fighting Drake Mays.
1: Yeah, I said this earlier. I I feel like this is a game where you know last week's game is a I think North Carolina probably would have won this game anyway, but I think I come off last week. Two things can happen with that Miami team, right? They can galvanize around each other, come back from it, and and fight. And, or it just lingers and, and carries on for another week, and, and that's what I think is going to happen here. And I also think North Carolina is a really good football team. So if, they, if Miami was going to play Wake or Pitt or you know, NC State or something and pick pick them to win even even despite that. But I think the combination of what happened last week and, and going on the road to, to play North Carolina is not going to be enough, and they're going to take their second loss. All right, uh, two more. Another Tigers, the other SEC Tigers again, Missouri. This time they're going to Kentucky, two-and-a-half point road dog. So Kentucky is a home favorite in this one by less than a field goal. Who do you like here?
0: Now, is you, Doug? No, I'm here. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm hear taking. Me? I'm no. I mean, I heard part of it. You just kind of stopped. Uh, I'm taking Missouri. I I thought about taking Kentucky in this game uh, because they're pretty physical and they run the ball well. But I I actually really like this Missouri team defensively, specifically against the run. Um, and I think that that Missouri is going to be able to find some things through the air. I, I didn't like the way that the Kentucky secondary played last week against Georgia, uh, and so I'm I'm going to go ahead and roll with the with the Tigers.
1: So this is a good news, bad news situation, QB. I also have the Missouri Tigers, and Justin has picked Kentucky. So this is either an opportunity for us to get one back on him, or or for him to increase his lead. So uh, I, I That's like not that. Great. Well, it's not great, but it could be great. So I'm going with it could be great. I'm a positive optimist here. Same. All right, Tigers. I agree with everything you said. I, I think they're a good football team. I like Missouri. I think they're really. They got the best wide receiver in the country, by the way.
0: A Luther Burton, Yeah.
1: I, that I guy's winning wrong. the Blitnikoff.
0: Well, I mean, he might be the most productive receiver, but he's not the best. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors exist. I, I, yeah,
1: well, I don't disagree with that. I'm saying he's winning the Blitnikov. How about that? Sounds good. Okay, a last game. We're going to the group of five. Shout out to our buddy Mitt. Group of five, ball lover. Uh, this one is in the American uh, it's the best two teams in the American. Winner of this game will definitely have a leg up in winning that uh, conference and p- staying on track for the uh, Fiesta Bowl slot. And it's Tulane as a four-and-a-half-point road favorite going to Memphis. Justin has picked Tulane. I have picked Memphis. I have Who picked are you Tulane. rolling with? You're going with Tulane. You're going with Justin yeah. and Tulane.
0: Yeah, I think, I think Memphis has been okay this year, but they haven't been— like. They're not the Memphis teams of a few years back. And I think the fact that Tulane's a four and a half point road favorite tells you that there's a pretty big quality difference between these two teams. Um and, and I, I think that I think that Willie Fritz and that Tulane staff are exceptional. So I'm gonna go ahead and roll with the blue wave. Yeah, and this week they're the bacon wave. I don't know if you've seen that.
1: Nope. But they uh they have their alternate logo on their outlets this week and it looks like bacon. Looks like two pieces of bacon frying, so they call it the bacon wave. I didn't know this. I just found this out on Twitter today because I, unlike Mitt, do not watch G five ball. I don't know anything about these things. You remember last year I picked the Pirates because I thought Pirates were cool. Didn't work out so well for me. Maybe I'm kind of bummed you on the Air Force
0: came on here. I we can pick that one too. You want to pick that one? We'll throw it on. No, it's fine. It is what it is. I just I like Air Force. I think their offense is really fun. Maybe I need to watch one of their games. It's been a while. It's all right. You just hate America. Moving on.
1: <laughs> Moving on. There's nowhere else to move on to. That's <laughs> the end of the show. I don't hate America. Listeners, I love
0: America. Go America team. Also wanna 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 send a, a public apology to Brian Abbey. So he won the second gift card probably three months ago for Homefield. Um on the it, on the it was Definitely back. the summer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh I forgot to send him the code. Um, and so he hit me up. He's like, Hey dude, I never got the code. And I was like, Oh shoot. Well, I sent it to him today. So shout out to Homefield again. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Uh that I did not send you the code earlier. Uh, this is why Doug usually handles these types of things.
1: Uh well, you did arrange that Homefield thing so you had the codes. Uh by the way, Air Force is a ten and a half point favorite um at home hosting Wyoming. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, that's a big spread. That is a big spread. I do think Wyoming's good, but uh, I also think they've won a lot of close games, and I think Air Force is a better. I mean, you look at Air Force, 49-10, 45-20, 39-21, 13-3, 42-7. They're just a a wagon, as Tom Fernelli likes to say.
0: Yeah, they're they're, uh, they're really good. I just think that this is an intriguing matchup because Craig Bull's done a pretty good job against them over the years.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: Uh I, I am Team
1: America, so I'm going for the Air Force in this one. QB any final thoughts before uh before we sign off. We won't talk to our listeners again until <laughs> after the
0: game. Uh go ducks, uh F the Huskies. I think this is a win. Um I hope it's a win. And I think it's a good day for recruiting news on Saturday. So we'll see how that plays out as well. Yeah, we we heard that from Justin earlier again. Uh, earlier today as
1: well so yeah a couple quick thoughts we'll try or at least i'll try one of us or both of us will try to do a post-game reaction show it's really going to depend on logistics i'm going to be on a boat in lake washington after the game coming back so it's it might be tricky i don't know how well it's going to work but we'll definitely try if not we will definitely be back to review this game in all of its glory and it will be glory on uh on monday morning as usual so thank you all again for listening qb11 show on twitter follow us on on apple podcast follow us on spotify leave your reviews leave your likes and if we get enough of them maybe we can get qb to show up and do a, a a youtube episode here we get our ugly mugs on camera well my ugly mug and qb's gorgeous face on camera yeah we could we could probably work something out all right There you go. Thanks, all. We'll talk to you soon, and uh, big game. Go Ducks. F the Huskies.